Media. How you doing, everybody? The Chet Kovic Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Course, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kovic and Lester Munson. Sports Court time once again. How you doing, everybody? I'm Chad Kopic. Sports Court, of course, featuring uh, Lester Munson, ESPN legal expert, yours truly. Chad Kopic brought to you by the marvelous people at American Taxi, Chicago's premier suburban taxi service for comfort, for great service, for reliability. You will never go wrong. You'll always be in the right corner with American Taxi. Lester, obviously, uh, time's very difficult at uh, Notre Dame right now. Losses to... Uh, Navy and uh, Tulsa sandwiched around the tragic death of uh, Declan Sullivan. Where do you see Notre Dame? Where do you see them as regards the uh, Sullivan family, perhaps, uh, oh, 30 to 45 days from now? About that time, Chet, uh, Notre Dame is going to have a very serious decision to make. They're going to have to decide whether to take a tight, legalistic, defensive approach to this tragedy or to approach the family and try to make a settlement that will leave everybody feeling good and feeling happy and feeling satisfied. Under the Indiana law, which is a little bit bizarre, Notre Dame owes the family the grand sum of $7,500. This is under Indiana workers' compensation law. He's a young man. He had no family. He has nobody dependent on him. And all he gets for a for an accident at work that results in his death, all he gets is the $7,500. But Notre Dame can look at it in a bigger way and decide what can we do for the family. Well, Notre Dame obviously has an extraordinary endowment, and there is a great deal of passion that uh, Notre Dame likes to represent. And as you know, uh, Notre Dame has always dealt very heavily in the uh, venue of public relations. I cannot imagine the school of Our Lady not doing the right thing in this. I, I really can't either. Uh, the family loves the university despite what happened. Their daughter is a freshman there, so they remain committed mm-hmm. to the university. The university remains committed to the family. And I, my guess is that uh, Mr. Swarbrick, the athletic director himself, a very skilled and experienced lawyer, uh, he will figure out how to put together some money from some insurance carriers, from the endowment, from the football revenue, and they'll make some settlement with the family. You know, Lester, I felt bad for uh, Jack, and I've known Jack for uh, well over 30 years, going back to my days in Indianapolis when he was uh, a very prominent uh, attorney down in uh, uh, in Naptown. Watching Jack at his news conference, he was obviously caught in a bind. There was really nothing he could say. He had to be evasive. Uh, he took the lumps from the press. And I, I, I felt genuinely, as, as badly as I feel for Declan Selvin and the family, I also felt a degree of remorse for Jack Swarbrick because he was thrown in a situation that just screamed no win. I think that's right. Uh, he had to both defend the university against whatever might happen, and he had to show some compassion for the family. I don't know how uh, you do both of those things. He's an articulate guy, as you say. He was a, a, a terrific lawyer. Uh, in Indianapolis. He is the envy of all Indianapolis lawyers, though. He got out of the practice and got the job as athletic director of Notre Dame. So my sympathy for him goes only so far. He's got a pretty sweet gig there. 
Spoken like a man who genuinely hates the legal practice. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So is there is there a possibility, looking at uh, Brian Kelly, and this is his first year, with the uh, embarrassing loss to Navy on national television, uh, the embarrassing loss to uh, Tulsa, once again on uh, NBC television, Notre Dame's uh, uh, television home, sandwiched around this tragedy, that if, for example, Notre Dame was to lose badly to Utah on national television... Uh, a week from Saturday, that eventually, I hate to talk in these terms, but doesn't history tell us you have to find a scapegoat somewhere along the way? You sure do. When a tragedy like this happens, it's nice to find somebody that you can uh, blame it on, and Notre Dame is going to do that just like anybody else would. Um, if, If it turns out that there was somebody on the coaching staff or somebody in the video department of the football team who told that boy to get up on that lift, then that's probably going to be the scapegoat. If it's Kelly's, one of, one of his assistants, mm-hmm. and they he obviously, he's the captain of the ship, he runs the practice, he's in charge of everything, um, is there some way that he's going to be uh, somebody to blame on this? We don't know yet. There's investigators crawling all over the place. There's a state safety agency from Indiana that's there. There's an insurance company guy that's there. Notre Dame is looking into it. Swarbrick uh, has people looking at it. So there's things we don't know, but I think we're going to find out in two or three weeks. Then might we eventually see a situation emerge where Notre Dame would uh, settle in a generous manager or generous uh, manner, rather, with the uh, Sullivan family while declaring that uh, Company A or Individual B was, in fact, at fault? They could easily do that. That would be a terrific outcome for them. They maintain their relationship with the family. They managed to pin the blame on somebody that was supposed to fix that lift, somebody that was supposed to be watching the weather, somebody that was supposed to be doing something they didn't do. That would be probably the best outcome Notre Dame could imagine. Why did the uh, old-timers and the uh, uh, the sun worshippers out in Arizona decide that uh, they had to hand the Chicago Cubs and the Ricketts family Nearly $100 million bucks. Well, you know, Mesa, Arizona, it's a suburb, but it's a suburb of 400,000 people. It's an amazing place. And you can drive around Mesa for hours and never hit the same street twice. There's not a lot going on there. Spring training is just about it. Right. It's, it's all residential. It's a few strip malls. And then here's spring training. It really is the centerpiece of life in Mesa. That those those seven or eight weeks are the best thing that can happen there. It it's a big chunk of the economy. Somebody must have figured out this was a good idea. It sure seems a little funny to me. I mean considering the fact that uh the Ricketts family is not only going to uh build a ballpark, it's going to build uh oh shall we say kind of a quasi adult uh children oriented uh Baseball, Disneyland, out there in the desert. Somewhere along the way, Lester, I, I have a feeling as I, as I look at this table, I see money under the table. <laughs> <laughs> there may be something like that. But the, uh, the funny thing about spring training in Arizona is the Cubs are the draw. They are the team oh, that absolutely. sell out every venue. Even now, next spring, we'll have the World Series champion Giants there, and the Cubs will outdraw the Giants. You know mm-hmm. it's going to happen. And Mesa has the Cubs. They've got the biggest attraction in the entire Southwest. That They're going to keep them. Were you bored by the entire month of October in the baseball playoffs and the World Series? 
given the fact that as we speak right now, the Giants recently crowned as world champions and we're in the uh, uh, the ninth week of the professional football season? I, I uh, you know, I'm a baseball junkie. I enjoyed the playoff games. I loved watching the great pitchers, Lincecum, uh, Halliday, all these guys. I was crazy about Brian Wilson. Oh, Brian. I want to know, was he well, named after the Brian Wilson? He, he He's flaky <laughs> enough. <laughs> to have fit in. He might be a member of that Wilson All he had to do was sing California Girls, and it would have been a lock. <laughs> yeah, and and then all the kids in the stands wearing their black beards. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the parade, we finally get a look at the mohawk that he's been nurturing for looks like 10 years. <laughs> that one of the great mohawks uh, in the history. I, I did enjoy the World Series. I was hoping the Rangers would come back. I'm a National League fan. Somehow I like the Rangers. I was very interested in the story of Josh Hamilton and him recovering and so on. So I, I, I wish they were still playing, but unfortunately, it's over. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chet Coppock. You're dialed into a sports court. This one is really juicy, and let me tell you why. This reminds me of Lee Corso years ago talking about Nebraska, recruiting quarterback after quarterback, having eight, nine quarterbacks on the squad. Why? Because they wanted to keep those quarterbacks away from Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, etc., etc. Now there is something new going on with the NC2A as regards the 85 rule. There's an antitrust case. It's filed in San Francisco. A kid at Rice was a defensive back. He played a year. He got hurt his second year. And then Rice yanked his scholarship. And they gave the scholarship to somebody else because a team is limited to 85 scholarships. This kid and his lawyers, and these are very good lawyers, have the theory that they can eliminate the limit on scholarships, any limit on scholarships, much much less 85, and that a school ought to be able to offer somebody a four-year guaranteed scholarship, all four years instead of one year at a time. It's a very interesting case. It's brand new. And if this goes the way I think it will go, the NCAA could be facing a situation in which Ohio State or Nebraska could offer 120 scholarships while some other school can only offer 60 scholarships and there will be a bidding war if there's a great player, a great quarterback one school will say I'll give you one year, somebody else will say I'll give you two years, somebody else will say five years and so it's gonna, it could be, it could disrupt the entire structure. Lester, this tells me right off the top that for example uh, the Mid-American Conference, Conference USA would be, would be dealt uh, a blow of such significance, it would be uh, Joe Frazier uh, tapping Ali in the 15th round of mm-hmm. Super Fight 1. I think that's exactly what happened. What would happen. The big schools with the big stadiums and the big money coming in would have all the advantages. Whatever balance there is now among the Division One football schools would be totally eliminated. And the schools would have to spend more on the players. That would be very good for the players. That would, of course, leave the schools less money to pay these outlandish salaries to the coaches and the athletic directors. Lester, there's an athlete uh, that emerged out of Chicago uh, some years ago. had, uh, oh, I believe one good year with the Bulls when he led the NBA in field goal percentage. Um, he's a rather gigantic individual by the name of uh, Eddie Curry. I'm told he reported to camp this year with the Knicks, weighing 330 pounds. How much longer is it going to take before uh, Mr. Curry files Chapter 11? He's right on the edge. Um, He's got a bunch of big judgments against him. He's got child support he's not paying. He's got all sorts of problems. I'm amazed he has time 
to go to camp. He has so many court appearances. And the only way he's going to bring that to an end is to file for bankruptcy. He's got to get rid of some of these things. Uh, he's made a lot of mistakes. Uh, here's a guy that was drafted when he was, what, 19 or 18 years old? 18 years old out of Thornwood. And, um, After they got beat by Schaumburg in the state title game. Yeah. <laughs> you would think somebody would have noticed that. Here's a guy. A bunch of guys named Biff. A bunch of guys. A bunch of guys named Biff beat your star to be. Yeah, a bunch of white guys who are five foot eleven, <laughs> and they beat Eddie Curry in the state finals. I I, I don't know uh, what the Bulls were thinking. What are the Knicks thinking? They signed. They extended the contract. I right. Mean, I I, I right. Uh, you do wonder about this. Luster, you do. <laughs> you wonder why the hell, for example, the National Football League actually sanctioned the Chicago Bears and the Buffalo Bills to play in Toronto this weekend, whereas I understand right now there have been about 33,000 tickets sold, which is not going to look good on television. And if you're the Chicago Bears, given the fact that you get a cut of the gate receipts when you go on the road, you have every right right now to be pissed off. They probably have some sort of lawsuit there. They're not going to file it. But uh, here they get to play an 0-7 team, but they got to go to Toronto to do it. That's the way things are going. Uh, for the Bears. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chet Coppock, along with our uh, man in charge of the Dallas, Dan Levy. This has been Sports Corp. We thank you, as always, for uh, joining us. And don't forget, you people out in the Chicago area, in the suburbs, make it a point. Always ride American Taxi. They're going to provide you with courtesy, comfort. It's going to be worry-free. You just don't beat American Taxi. So long, everybody.